ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Urgency has creeped into our working lives. Urgency has just become the norm and nobody questions it because that's the way it is around here. So I still struggle with what's really urgent and what I feel is urgent, even though it might not be. Urgency is just a thing we have to deal with. We're never going to get rid of it. Ever felt that overwhelming sense that there's just not enough time to do your job and that everything is suddenly urgent? Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and on this episode of This Working Life, I'm going to help you untangle the messiness of urgency, why it crops up in our work and team culture and what we can do about it. Dermot Crowley is a productivity expert and author. Now, recently you were the client of someone whose way of working was, shall we say, quite frenetic and uh, urgent. What happened? I was I was paying for a service. I was having a video made and this had been booked in weeks and weeks and weeks before. Mm. And there was kind of radio silence until, you know, literally two days before the event. Suddenly there was a whole lot of communication and I noticed that all of the communication had a lot of urgency attached. So I, I kind of see ASAP in the subject line of the emails and things like that. And as I examined it, I, I could really see that a lot of this stuff had just been left until the last minute. And then suddenly there was this flurry of, of uh, you know, activity, if you like. We had the event and uh, I was then waiting for the final product to deliver, uh, be delivered to me. And of course, radio silence again. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting text messages at you know 9.30 at night saying, I need you to download this ASAP. And I'm kind of going, hold on here. I- I'm the client. I don't think it's urgent. And-, and you're interrupting my evening and you're making it urgent, even though it actually wasn't urgent. And that's so typical, I reckon, in the workplace. Dermot, do you get cases where people don't even realise that they are urgency mongers, (laughs) people who live a life of urgency and are causing havoc in the workplace without realising? Absolutely, yeah. Look, when you talk about it, they often kind of go, oh, yeah, that's so true and that's so me. So I I think there can be different archetypes and and different personalities out there. Um, I would imagine the the person I mentioned, the story about the, um, the video piece of work, I would say that is her work style. Mm. She um, she tends to leave things till the last minute. And you know what? That is a learned behavior. I reckon we learned that behavior at school and in university where we would leave our, you know, our, our tests and uh, revision and we would leave our assignments until the night before and then we'd cram and we'd keep ourselves awake all night on coffee and, and we would deliver... But the problem is we have a, a positive bias where we, we remember that and we go, oh, yeah, I nailed that assignment. I'm really good at deadlines. I'm really good at leaving things to the last minute. What we forget is the amount of stress that that caused us. And, and, and I would say that if that's you as a student, then the only real impact is on you and your work. But when you're working in a collaborative workplace... If you are the person who always leaves things till the last minute and then is constantly going, where's Lisa, where's Lisa, I need this, I need that, then you are creating havoc. You're like a bull in a china shop and you are actually making everyone's life uh, a misery probably and you're making everyone operate more reactively than they need to. And this is where leaders also need to think about the, the credo, do no harm. 
don't be the one that is creating this urgency if it's unnecessary. So what is the impact of this way of working? So I reckon there, there's probably three zones that people will work in. I want to be really clear here. Urgency is, a, is you know, just a thing we have to deal with. We're never going to get rid of it. But we can choose to work in the active zone, in the inactive zone, or in the reactive zone. And the active zone is where there's a certain level of urgency, but it's not driving everything that we do and we're working reasonably proactively. The inactive zone might be where there's no urgency whatsoever and and we can get a bit um, slack, if you like. But the reactive zone, that's where we tend to spike up above the line and we experience acute urgency. And I don't really have a problem with that because that's the reality of work. But when we spike up above the line and we experience what I call uh, acute and chronic urgency, that becomes really problematic when everything is urgent and you are constantly under that pressure of urgency. I reckon that it leads to burnout. It really affects our well-being. Okay, so there's a few things going on here. The first is the difference between importance and urgency. Research shows that we're more likely to complete urgent tasks instead of important tasks. That's because the urgent tasks have a more immediate payoff and the important tasks are more difficult. They're further away. Dermot says this is an important distinction to make. One of the things that I see in many, many workplaces is the fact that people confuse the two. So, you know, people often say to me, oh, but that's really important. And I kind of go, why is that important? And they go, because it's due tomorrow. <laughs> I kind of go, well, no, no, that's just, that's urgent. Uh, there's time sensitivity attached to it, but it doesn't make it important. So I kind of think of importance as being about value and about impact, whereas urgency is about the deadline and, and the time sensitivity. They are both filters that we can view our work through. And the secret is to always try and look at things through the importance filter first and then look at things through the urgency filter. You need to evaluate both. But I think too often what we do is we just have this knee-jerk reaction and we look at everything through the urgency filter and ask ourselves, is this urgent or not? And that becomes our way of prioritisation, but it's a very flawed way of prioritising. So why do we end up turning things into urgent matters? If we look beneath the surface, maybe we were engaging in avoidant behaviour. Just the thought of the task made us stress. Doing this, even subconsciously, can cause problems, starting with your body and your brain. Different kinds of stress lead to different kinds of reactions. That's Dr Kari Leibovitz. I'm a health psychologist, a speaker, and a writer. There's sort of this acute stress, like maybe if you're an athlete and you have a competition or you're going to give a talk or a presentation, and that's sort of fight or flight. And so our body is releasing stress hormones, things like cortisol, things like adrenaline, things like DHEA, which is actually a neurosteroid that helps our brains grow in order to help us meet this fight or flight response. At the same time, our body is really trying to prepare us for what it thinks is an emergency. And so it's suppressing some other things, right? It's suppressing things like digestion. You know, the the stress response was designed to help us meet challenges, right? So there's a lot of things happening in our body that are preparing us for action, but there's also a flip side to that in that it's deprioritizing some sort of longer term uh, growth or well-being things that happen in the body. And it turns out 
we can turn this around by reframing the stress, which can in turn help us to do things in a proactive way rather than a reactive way. Yeah. So in my workshops, I often ask people whether or not they're planning to do anything stressful like do something difficult at work, try to get a promotion, try to make the world a better place. And obviously all the hands go up, right? And so there's this idea that actually rather than reducing our stress or getting rid of it, we should be saying, hey, stress is related to the things I care about the most. The most rewarding, fulfilling, meaningful parts of my life are also the parts where I've experienced stress. And if you reflect on times where you've grown a lot as a person, either professionally in your job or personally in your relationships, when you've achieved things you're really proud of, ask yourself if those times in your life were times of stress. And the answer is almost invariably yes. That when we look back on the things that helped us to sort of grow and reach new levels and perform better and achieve greater things, that happens because of the stress that we put ourselves through and the stress that we experience. And But there's this disconnect in the narrative, right? That stress is all bad, that stress is really harmful for us, that stress is something we should only reduce. But actually, when we think about it, we can see that stress is tied up in so much of what we really care about and in so much of what we're the proudest of. And so how can we reconcile those things and how can we embrace the stress, work with our stress and channel our stress effectively so it doesn't become something that is sort of a side thing to these things that we care about, but we see the way it's inextricably part of all of these good things in our lives and we sort of use that along the way. So the first thing we need to do is recognise and vocalise what we're stressed about. And listing something very concrete, usually ideally something that is present and recurring, right? So not a one-off stressor, but something that's sort of bothering you over time. And then in step two, we say, okay, why is that stressing you out? What do you care about? And we encourage people to go all the way down. Okay, I'm stressed about my dissertation. Why? Because I want to do a good job on my dissertation. Why? Because I want to be a good scientist. Why? Because I believe that doing good science can help people and make the world a better place, right? Drilling all the way down to whatever that thing is, not that sort of superficial, oh, I have to do well on this presentation because I like to do well at things, but what's really the motivation underneath that? And we often sort of lose sight in that, especially when we're caught up in the frantic of the day-to-day, that we don't really tap into the big picture. And so this can also help us get some perspective on sort of the scale of the problem and also what we're really actually trying to accomplish and whether or not we're going about that in a way that is meaningful and practical and makes the most sense. I'm always surprised with how little time people actually spend or invest in planning. Dermot Crowley again. Especially really senior people who you think would would um, maybe be better at this stuff, but people know they should take time out to plan, but the truth is we're often so busy and we're often, you know, moving at a million miles an hour that we don't actually stop to plan. We feel that when we take time out to plan, we are actually out of action. And and I would say the opposite is true. You actually get more done and you get more of the right work done if you actually take time to plan. So I, I suggest that um, if you really want to make sure that you're having impact in your role and you're creating a connection between uh, what I would call the big picture, the important things in your role, and what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis, 
You need to put planning routines in place. And there are three levels of this, starting with daily planning. Where I would suggest that you maybe devote 10 minutes at the start of each day, focusing your day with a plan. And, you know, that doesn't have to be a complex thing, but you just need to think about what are my meetings today? How much discretionary time do I have available? And what are the priorities that I need to get done? That, that, that makes up your daily plan. Then I reckon you need to have some sort of a weekly planning process where you actually devote a little more time. I'd usually spend 30 to 45 minutes planning my week in detail, but not just looking at next week and thinking about my meetings for next week. I actually look back over the week that I've just had and I tie off any loose ends and make sure that all meeting actions have been dealt with it appropriately, that sort of thing. I then look forward at next week and I get organized for next week. And the third one is a monthly planning process where I I think it's a really good idea to step back and and get some perspective once a month. And what I do is I try to define what are my top 10 priorities for the coming month. And I just do a bit of thinking over a cup of coffee and I make a list and I rank that list from most important to least important. And, And that then serves me to keep me on track with the important work in my role. These are all designed to create the connection between the big picture and what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis. Now, let's get some tips for managers on how to manage a team's urgency. You had a friend, Charles, who was a senior manager in a big bank. How did he approach this? Look, Charles is a real people person. And um, I reckon that Charles thinks about the the workflow um, from a, a team perspective. And he thinks about his own role modeling as a leader. And I think that that's one of the really important things that leaders need to do, uh, lead productivity in the workplace. And one of the things they need they need to do is, is role model good behaviors. So when I talk to a leader, the first thing I say is, first of all, do no harm, just like a, a, the, the, the Hippocratic <laughs> Yes. Let's not let's not be the one creating the urgency. But then you you need to lead by example. And and therefore I know Charles really tried to um make sure that he wasn't the one creating the urgency for his team. But I also know that Charles put a lot of um time and effort into creating uh the space for his team to respectfully negotiate. And and this is one of the things that I worry about in, in a lot of workplaces. A lot of people feel they don't have any agency when it comes to dealing with urgency. They kind of feel like, I have no power here. Yeah. If someone more senior wants me to do something urgently, what can I do? I have to deal with it. Mm. And I think that as a leader, you need to empower your people. You need to give them agency. And you can do that by um, opening up the discussion about urgency and giving them some practical strategies to be able to negotiate urgency. And you can do this by tweaking what Dermot calls the urgency dials. You can use these dials to negotiate on urgency. So one of the dials is time. And sometimes, you know, that is amped up to the the number 10 where someone's coming along and saying, I need this by Friday. I need this by yesterday. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and and that's where you you hear language like ASAP come into it. Mm. But sometimes there isn't the urgency, so the dial could be lower. But what I suggest is if if someone's coming to you with, with high urgency and they're saying, I need this by Friday, 
then one of the other dials that you could um, use to dial down the urgency is quality. Now, I'm not saying to people that they should do low quality work, but sometimes quality is a negotiable. So I could say to you, look, I can get that to you by Friday, but it's not going to be 100% quality. It's, you know, I could, I could do mm. a two-page overview. I will not be able to do the full analysis. Is that okay? And you, you put it back on the other party to make a decision about which is the more important negotiable for me. Do I want it by Friday or do I want it to be 100% perfect? That's a negotiable and, and that's a respectful conversation that people should be allowed to have. And it's, it's not just quality. You can negotiate on the resources. You can negotiate on the, the scope of a piece of work. You can negotiate on the risk involved with a piece of work. They're all negotiables. So, you know, I guess that's a large part of it as a leader. And Charles, I know, um, did this. He, he had a conversation with his team and he gave them permission to have respectful conversations with him and with other people in the team about the urgency of the work. Having worked for a large consultancy firm, I got very used to things being urgent. Where this became a problem was when things became urgent at 5pm, at 7pm, at 9pm, at 11pm, and I got used to responding. This is Nathan Eva. And I'm an Associate Professor in Leadership at the Monash Business School. So when I moved to academia, that mindset continued. And my students, they work all hours of the night and they're stressed with their essays and their questions are, to them, really urgent. And this isn't great for me responding to emails to try and help them out. So I still struggle with what's really urgent and what I feel is urgent, even though it might not be. So I have gotten into the habit of asking, well, how urgent is this? Where does it fall into a list of priorities? And when is the latest it needs to be done by? That way, I can make informed decisions around my workload. And something Nathan's learned about working with urgency is that it can be good, but not for too long. We know that urgency does produce great work. It can drive innovation and it can drive performance, but it isn't sustainable. We can't keep going to an empty well. We need to recharge. This is why we hear so many stories of people who are burnt out in industries that have urgent work. We need to be in a safe space that we can put our hand up and say, hey, is this really that important or can it wait? Because the health of our employees needs to be our number one priority. Dermot, you used a concept called above and below the line to help us manage our workloads. Tell me about how this works. I first read about this in a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And, and one of the commitments they talk about was the idea of leaders working above the line and not getting dragged down below the line. Now, they talked about it in a very different context to the way I use it, but from a productivity point of view, I like that idea, that simple idea that we're either working above the line where we are having real impact in our role or if we're dragged down below the line, we're generally very busy, but we're busy working on lower value, lower impact activities that fill up our schedule and fill up our inbox, but don't necessarily add a lot of value at the end of the day. So when I think about creativity or, you know, in a corporate setting, I might be working with leaders who wouldn't necessarily say that they need to spend time being creative, but they would say that I need more time to think and I need more time to strategize or to plan. For me, they all kind of sit with creativity as above the line activities. 
And I reckon that urgency and busyness drag you down below the line. So when we can dial down the urgency, it gives us more of a, an opportunity to make sure that we are spending more of our time above the line on the things that have impact or on the creative aspects of our role, which at the end of the day, that's what most of us really get paid to focus on. Not our inbox, not all the busy work necessarily. When you get to a certain level in an organization or if you're in a certain type of a team, you're often paid for the the thinking and the creativity that you bring to the table. But if you're too busy and you're reacting to everything, it diminishes your creativity. Is there anything else in your experience that you've noticed really changes people from being that reactive, urgent state to a more proactive state? Yeah, look, I'll answer that in two parts if I could, because I think there's two distinctly different things that can have a real impact here. So when I think about productivity, I think about it both from a personal productivity perspective, so that they're the things that we as an individual can do to be more organized and working more on the right things. But it's also a cultural issue. So, you know, often when I'm working in organizations and they they have an urgency culture where urgency has just become the norm and nobody questions it because that's the way it is around here. So I believe that we need to approach urgency in both ways. So from an individual's perspective, I think one of the things that you can do to work more proactively is to create an action management system that allows you to proactively schedule your work for the appropriate date and time. Now, you already have this in place with your calendar and your meetings. So, you know, 99% of the people I work with would use a calendar to manage all of their meetings and they schedule their meetings for today or tomorrow or for next week or for next month. And it's a very proactive system for blocking out our time. But what most people don't do is uh, they don't proactively schedule their priorities and their tasks. Most people will use their inbox as a to-do list and they'll they'll write out a to-do list and they'll have a pile of post-it notes on the desk to remember what they need to do. But none of those are proactively managing the work. So mm. if you're using a tool like Microsoft Outlook or Gmail, in both cases there's a task management system that you can easily turn on and then be able to schedule priorities for today or tomorrow or for Monday or for Friday or for next month. And therefore, you can start to, in a very flexible way, manage your your work ahead of schedule. And I'm always thinking about what do I need to do and when am I going to try and do it? So if I've got a deadline of next Friday, I might schedule the task for Tuesday So I've got a little bit of a fudge factor there. If I don't get to it on Tuesday, I've still got time before it becomes urgent. So that, for me, is a really practical thing you can do at the individual level. And what about teams, Dermot? What can they do? The best thing the teams can do to reduce the amount of urgency that they are dealing with as a team is to have a discussion about urgency and to create a set of team agreements around how they are going to 
deal with urgency. And, and what I often recommend to a team is if you can come up with three to five agreed behaviors around urgency, you will really shift the dial and, and create a different culture within your team. But that requires you to actually, you know, have a talk about urgency, think about all the different ways urgency is negatively impacting the team, and then get creative about this and think about, okay, what are some of the agreed behaviors that we could put in place? And my belief is culture is just a set of group behaviors. And if you change those group behaviors, you create a new culture. Simple as that. All right, so just to recap, the six styles you can turn to manage you or your team's urgency are time, quality, scope, resources, budget, and risk. And if you want to start doing the daily, weekly, and monthly planning, Dermot outlined, you can find the details in the show notes. Thanks to my guests, Dermot Crowley, Nathan Eva and Dr. Carrie Leibovitz. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. It's produced by Zoe Ferguson and mixed by Matthew Crawford. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And if you're struggling with anything at work and want to know how to navigate it, please do get in touch. You can email us on thisworkinglife at abc.net.au. Until next time, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.